Let's uh, begin today in Haggai. I want to start off with uh, something I was mentioning last week. Haggai chapter 2. In this verse here, actually we're going to read more than one here in Haggai, but um, this verse is quoted in Hebrews. We're going to look at that one, and we're going to set the tone here. And also, there's some things related to the same subject in Revelation in one other place. But in Haggai 2, verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea, and the dry land. Verse 7, And I will shake all nations. And whenever you look at the law, and actually a lot of the Bible scholars and so on, they believe that this initially is talking about when the law was given and the earth shook and and so on. But that is not the only shaking that you see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. For example, in the Old Testament, uh, you, you see when the law was given, of course, and then you see the moral depravity of the entire earth and God begins to shake by the man Noah who begins to build an ark. So you see that, and then you see the shaking of Egypt by uh, Moses and the plagues that God you know, has him pronounce, and there, that world there was shaken. Egypt was shaken, and then you know the story where the children of Israel let out. And then after a time you see they're in the wilderness, and eventually Joshua comes on the scene, and Joshua takes the children of Israel into the promised land and deals with king after king after king. I believe that he conquers some, something like 31 kings. And there was a shaking again of the Gentile world, complete shaking. And then after that, you see with the nation of Israel, because of their ungodliness, because of their wickedness, because of their disobedience and so on, God raises up the Assyrians, and they take them into captivity. And there was, again, a shaking with the people of God. And then the southern kingdom of uh, Judah, they continue on for some hundred and some years later, and they became more disobedient, and they went their own way and so on, and they became ungodly. And God raised up the Babylonians. And once again, they take them into captivity, and then you see the, um, the destruction of Jerusalem, the siege of Jerusalem, and Solomon's temple. All the great wealth and wisdom of Solomon and all the effort going into this natural temple in Jerusalem was shaken to the ground, done, completely. And then after that, you see, they, of course, we know uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and, and Esther deal with the restoring of the temple or the second temple, which was done, it's called Herod's temple. And then when you come into the New Testament, you see Jesus come on the scene, and Jesus deals with the religious leaders. He deals with a nation who didn't really follow the law. And so he shakes them, shake, shake, shake. And then 
Later on, in 70 AD, you had the uprising in Jerusalem, and you had the first war between the Romans and the Jews. In 70 AD, they siege the city. They destroy, once again, they shake up you know, Israel, the people of God. They're actually, God raised, raised them up to, because they weren't following the Lord. And you see the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So when you follow things along in the scriptures, uh, you see many different times of shaking. But one of the things that I saw was like a common theme through all this is God was dealing with the ungodly nations and he was dealing with his people who were not following him, those two things. And all the shakings that I could see in the scriptures related to that, the, the ungodliness, whether of the Gentiles or of God's people. Now in verse 9, may as well just finish reading this here. And he says, In the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. And in this place I will give peace. Now, I mean, this could be related to the, the second temple, uh, but I, I believe that it's possible that it is, it is that also, but it also relates to Jesus. Jesus Christ coming along, and he would, would be the glory of the temple, so to speak, and, and he would bring his glory into Israel and into the world and so on. So now I'll turn to, and he would give peace, the Prince of Peace, Hebrews 12. Now sometimes you look at verses and you read them and it's very difficult to assign a time frame to them. Now we know that certain things in Revelation have not been fulfilled as of yet. So when you see a verse in Revelation and you see a verse somewhere else that's almost identical, there's probably a good chance that the primary interpretation of that verse is related to something here that has not taken place. In Hebrews, now this is, this is interesting because we read, like for example, verse, did I say chapter 12? Verse 27, where it says, yes, yet once more, it talks about the shaking. But if you back up a verse or two, look at verse 25. He says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now, that's extremely important to the whole context of the shaking. Because the Gentile nations did not acknowledge God, the God of Israel. And so they weren't hearing anything that he was speaking. And a good example is, is Pharaoh when Moses was speaking the words of God to him. And then secondly, he says, do not refuse him who speaks. Also re refers to the people of God, which you see throughout their history of Israel, that you had some who listened to his word and you had a lot who did not. You had some kings who did, you had many kings who did not. So here you see this same thing. This sets the stage, so to speak, for the shaking. Whatever shaking may come is that the individual or the church uh, or the nations, 
or a nation, however you want to look at it, they refuse him who speaks. They, they, they're not interested in the word of God. They don't believe it. They don't believe when someone comes with the word of God, you know, that whole thing. They're not interested in that. So verse 25 says, see that you do not refuse him. So, so the writer to Hebrews now is, is putting this on a personal level. Now, we've looked at this on a national level, you know, uh, you know where you see this related to people, uh, the masses of people, the masses of the nations. And here he brings it to a personal level. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. <clears throat> so any shaking that's going to come down the line, or come down the road, uh, the, the warning is to the people, to the individual, is do not refuse him who speaks. Because if you or I or any Christian refuses him who speaks then they set themselves up to not be prepared for the shaking that comes. So if you and I are diligent in our walk with the Lord, and if we are hearing him and adjusting our walk accordingly, and this is a daily thing, as we'll see in a little bit, uh, not that you serve the Lord and, and you're, you're on fire, so to speak, for him for a year or two years or five years or ten years. And then you kind of just, you know, float along. No, this is referring to you and I, to the Christian, being in the walk with the Lord, hearing him and not refusing him. So now with that in mind, verse 26, he goes on and he says, um, we'll end of verse 25, Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake, not only earth, but also heaven, now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things which are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which, which cannot be shaken may remain. So here is this shaking he's talking about. And he says once more he's going to shake everything. So he, he doesn't necessarily say exactly what the shaking will be, and he doesn't say how that will apply individually as far as your life, my life, and the lives of Christians across the world. See, he, he makes a statement that there is going to be this shaking. Now, in Isaiah, I'm just going to quote this from the Amplified. It says this in Isaiah 34. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved. Now, we know this verse because I think Peter, yeah, Peter quotes that. 
All the host of heaven shall be dissolved and crumbled away, and the sky shall be rolled together like a scroll. And all their hosts, the stars and the planets, shall drop like a faded leaf from the vine and like a withered fig from a fig tree. So he's talking about some cosmic disturbance throughout the universe. Does that frighten you? Does that disturb you? Now turn to Revelation, chapter 6, verse 12. Now chapter 6 deals with the seals. The angel opens up certain seals. And in, in verse 12, this is the sixth seal he opens up. And it says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. And he, here's, listen, this is the same phrase that we just heard. As a fig tree drops its late figs, when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. It's the same basic thing that we just read in Hebrews. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and great men, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in caves and in, in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For this great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And so now there is, seems to be, from the verse we started off with, uh, to here in Revelation, dealing with this wrath of God that's coming upon the earth. Now, I know that when you read certain things in Revelation, because of the, the general teaching out there in the Christian world, you have this rapture thing, you know, where you say, some people say, you know, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, all that other stuff. That's not important. Regardless of when this comes, this is going to be a shaking of the universe and the earth. A total shaking. And where the people of God fit in this, I'm not sure. And as I said, it's not really important. Because verse 17 says, And who is able to stand? Well, the ones that, that will not stand a personal shaking, a national shaking... A, a shaking in the world, or in the end, where you have this wrath of God poured out by the seals being opened, those that will not stand will be those who do not have a relationship ongoing with the Lord. If there's ungodliness, if there is uh, a, a movement in the heart toward this world, and what this world can provide and all that, that we talk about all the time, then the standing of the individual will be compromised. And in Matthew 25, where you see 
the, the five foolish and the five wise virgins, remember that the five foolish virgins could not ready themselves immediately when the bridegroom came because to be ready takes time. You can't do it immediately. So you can't say, well, now I see it coming. Now there's going to be this shaking, and now I'm going to be prepared. No, it doesn't work that way. The five foolish virgins thought that way, and they went out to buy oil. When they came back, what was the result? They couldn't go in. They weren't ready. So the, the same thing I see here with this shaking. Now, who's going to be able to stand? Well, the only ones that are going to be able to stand are the ones who are ready. And that does not mean that it, you know, things wouldn't be difficult. It just means that you know, you'll make it. That's what it means. You'll make it. You'll be all right. Now, in Peter, let me just read this. This is 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. So what are the works in the earth? Well, just look. Everything that you can see that man has produced. You know, all the buildings, all the concrete, you know, all, everything, everything, everything that man has made, all his works. And it's going to be so intense, the heat's going to be so intense that it's going to liquefy the concrete, obviously. It's going to turn it back into its elements. It's going to be gone. That's what Peter's saying, that, the, that um, the elements will melt with a fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it. The only works that will never be burnt up is the work of God. You know, that which the Lord has done in your life will never be touched, it will never be burnt, it can never be destroyed, Not unless you let it, but I mean, it, it can't be destroyed. And Jesus says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And see, the words of Christ, the words of the scriptures, that is how the Lord establishes his kingdom. So the word of God that comes to you, to me, to to whatever, whoever Christian, And as that word is received and it moves out from your life, Uh, for example, how many times have we heard about, uh, you know, except the the corn of wheat, the the seed of wheat, fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. So, So there has to be a death for there to produce life. So that's a kingdom principle, see. So the word of God will come. And there's all these kingdom principles, what you, you, what you sow, you reap, all these kingdom principles. So if you and I receive the word of God, now the kingdom is going to be established in our heart. Jesus said the kingdom is within you. Only those who have cooperated with him and have received his word 
And when I say receive it, I mean receive it, and it does its work, and it's reflected in your life. Those who have received his word, the kingdom of God is being built in their heart, in their life. It's being established, and Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So that which is within you will never, ever pass away. Ever. Now, we might not remember it, you know, because the older you get, sometimes you find you forget things. I guess sometimes younger people forget things, too. But as you get older, sometimes it's, where, where was this in the Bible? <laughs> but it doesn't matter because if the kingdom is established in your heart, it's there. Whether your mind is aware of it or not, that's not the point. So in Hebrews, back into Hebrews. Now we read from Hebrews 12. Verse 26, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of things that are being shaken as of things that are made, uh, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now listen, therefore, because of that, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. You see that? Now, this here, this verb here, we, we receiving, we're receiving, is a present participle, which means that the individual Christian must be presently and continually receiving this kingdom. You see that? Presently, continually. It doesn't mean today and not tomorrow. It doesn't mean you're receiving the kingdom here in church, but when comes Thursday or Friday this week, you know, you're elsewhere. You're not walking with the Lord. It's, uh, no, 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 no. If that's the case, that individual will be shaken. But here it says, therefore, since we are, I'll read it with the, the verb inflections. Therefore, since we are presently continually receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. So the point here is that we are to be serving him always. Always. And it's very sad. I have seen this many times with Christians I've been in contact with. Um, worked with where you see this vacillation. And I believe sometimes they're not even aware maybe of what they're doing or maybe, maybe they're aware of what they're doing, but maybe they're not aware of the ramifications of what they're doing. Maybe that's a better way to say it. And they vacillate back and forth. And I've said this before because it was very... Um, something that was right there in my face, and I said, gee, this is not right. Where this one Christian that I worked with, I didn't work directly with him, but he, he was in the same general area. You know, he was praising the Lord and giving testimony about what the Lord had done uh, in his life and so on and so forth. And it was a matter of a few hours later, he's yelling and screaming and cursing at someone on the work floor. And, you know, 
saying something, cursing at one of the bosses. So that, that there's a vacillation there, you see. And, you know, a Christian ought not to be so. You know, we are to act a certain way. We are to have a certain attitude. And that's not to say that we can't fail. You know, you know we can go to the Lord to cleanse us uh, from our unrighteousness. But, you know, to be like that all the time is not what I see in the scriptures. And that's not, you know, living for the Lord. That's not walking with God. Uh, that's not being as a Christian should be. So here, to receive a king, the kingdom that's not going to be shaken. Now listen, that means that if you are presently, continually receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken, that means that if, if that's being built in you, the kingdom of God within you, then you won't be shaken. Do you understand? It's, it's very simple. Because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, that doesn't mean you won't, you know, something might upset your apple cart for a little while. But I'm talking about where you're so shaken that you decide you're going to go the, you know, go the other way. You're going to be walking away from the Lord. Remember, it says that, um, that there will be a great falling away. Something is going to occur that is going to cause this great falling away. And there are Christians who believe that they're not going to fall away. But I'm telling you, if they're not receiving the kingdom now, today, presently, continually, then they will be shaken. I don't care if they're a pastor of a church. I don't care if they're an evangelist. It doesn't matter how much a person is esteemed. If they have not been receiving the kingdom consistently, they will be shaken. And there may be a ruin, a destruction. Now in 1 Corinthians, now with all that being said, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the, the shaking of things, whether it's at the very end, like we're reading in Revelation, or whether it's as some of the things that we read from the Old Testament or talked about, uh, or some shaking that may come in this nation or in the world. I mean, we, we don't know what may happen. But the shaking that may come is not to be the focus of your life. I mean, it's good to know this. You know, the Bible teaches it. It's good to know it. But it is not to be the focal point of your heart. Because if you focus upon the shaking that may come, it's going to lead you in a different path, possibly in a different way, so that you, you are focused on that rather than your focus being where it should be. Now, Paul says to the Corinthians here, this is chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful, which is great. Isn't it nice that God's faithful? God's faithful to you. You know that. We're to be faithful to him. But it's nice to know that he's faithful to us. God is faithful 
by whom you are called. Do you know that each one of you here is called? You say, well, I don't teach. So what? I don't go and, you know, witness to all these people. So what? Do you know you're called? You are called. Are you hearing me? You are called. Now listen. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the word, in the, in the King James uses the word, you're called unto fellowship. And that's a Greek preposition. It's called E-I-S. And it means to or into. Into. You are called into this fellowship with Jesus Christ. And this word here, the Greek word, some of you probably have heard it, it's called koinonia. And that word is used in Corinthians where Paul talks about communion. Same word, communion. We are called into communion with Jesus Christ. And that means everyone. We're all called to that particular place. Now, I want to give you some meanings of this word. Uh, fellowship. We're called into fellowship. It means partnership, you know, like we see in, in uh, Luke or Matthew or Luke, where it talks about being yoked together with the Lord. There's a partnership there. There's, there's a, a togetherness there. Um, it means intimacy. And I like this. Let me read this. This is from Lo Anita. It says, an association involving a close mutual relations and involvement. Um, so, so the point is that there is to be this involvement with the Lord. See, are we involved with the Lord? Or is this church, church? Is Christianity, Christianity? Or are we involved with him? And then another meaning from Loanita lexicon is that which is readily shared. Communion. Communion is something that's readily shared. So communion is not just elements. Well, there is an element involved, yes, but it's not the elements. There is an element that we give ourselves to him and in the giving, that, that is the word, another word in Greek, love, um, phileo, the, the reciprocal love. But in, in the giving, in the involvement with the Lord personally, us, you, me, whoever, whatever Christian, involved with him, having the communion with him, then we are in a place that I believe that Paul is talking about here, that we're called to, into this fellowship, into this communion. So for the kingdom of God to be established in our hearts, we must be in communion with the Lord because he's the one that does it. See, you can't have the kingdom established in your heart if you are not involved with the Lord, if you are not in fellowship or communion with him. And that's why you see here at, um, in Romans and in Corinthians where it talks about the judgment seat of Christ, 
that we will all give an account or an expression to the Lord. And he'll see what that is based upon whether you have had communion with him on a consistent basis, like Paul is saying, presently, continually. And to progress in the kingdom will mean that the kingdom must be established in your heart. You can't move in kingdom principles without that being established. I mean, you have to have a will to do it, and then the Lord he establishes it, and then you move in it. Now, in uh, 1 John, I don't have time, but let's just look at this real quickly. Chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Why? And, and th- this, this whole beginning of the epistle, I believe, is shrouded. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly spoken, but it's shrouded. And the reason why I believe it's shrouded is because there are not as many that are um, moving in what John is saying as should be. So that which we have heard, seen, heard, and declared to you, why? Why? For what reason? That you may have fellowship with us. So John is saying that, see, our fellowship and communion is with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're telling you this. We're declaring this to you, what we have seen, heard, and so on, so that you would have fellowship with us. And surely our fellowship is with the Lord. But see, John puts it out there, but that does not mean because a Christian reads this, and because a Christian believes it even, so to speak, that they're able to move into this communion that John is talking about. Because it will require certain things of you, of of any Christian. It requires certain things. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we say that we have this fellowship, this communion with him and walk in darkness, if we sin, if we practice that, you know, we lie and do not do or do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, as I, as I see him in the light, the Lord comes and he shows me a direction or whatever it may be. He gives his word. And if I walk in the light as, he, as he's showing me, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Chapter 3. It is imperative that the Christian have a revelation of certain things in order to acquire them. So you cannot acquire uh, certain things in spirit without first having that revealed and then proceeding toward that. Jesus had to reveal to John, Peter, Peter, James, and John, at the Mount of Transfiguration, what they did not see and know. Now, the apostles came into that later, what they saw. Not just them, 
I mean, those even that didn't see it physically came into it. They, they had a revelation of it. But Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's transfigured before them. Now, when they saw Jesus before that and they walked with him, they saw a person, you know, they saw a body. For the most part, they didn't see what that physical body was shielding, veiling. And so the veil is lifted, and they see the glory coming out of Jesus. Quite a revelation. So you, you can get that same revelation in church, you know that. You can get a revelation through reading. That's how it's going to come. The Lord's going to come some way and, and reveal something to you. So the Spirit of God will do that. Why? In hopes that now that the revelation has been brought to you, to your heart, that it sets you in a certain direction to bring a fulfillment in your life. So here in, in John, 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Now, that's, that's fantastic. You know, we, the manner of love that God has given to bring you and I into this place where we're children of God is awesome. And you hear people minister and talk about that love of God all the time. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. They don't understand what being a child of God really means. I mean, you hear these people, they talk about being a child of God, and yeah, we're children of God as far as creation, but we're not all children of God as far as relationship. That's something different. Verse 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not been yet revealed what we shall be or what we shall become. It has not been revealed what we shall become. Well, what, what is it? What shall we become? Well, it hasn't been revealed yet. You walk with the Lord. It hasn't been revealed to you or to anyone around you what you shall become. Your life is not over yet, so you haven't come to the end, and what you, have what you will have become, you haven't become yet. It hasn't been revealed. Now, the, the basis for what you and I will become will be found in this koinonia, in this fellowship, in this communion, in, in all the working of that, the will of God, the purpose of God, you know, all that for your life. You following that will bring you to the end a good end, and what you will become will be revealed, like Jesus. Now, this may be where the Lord may want the Christian, but because the Christian in their life has gone their own way, something else will be revealed at the end. And it may not be what uh, they, they're liking because they could have missed out on the glory of God to some great degree. Maybe they'll end up being a real teeny little light instead of being like a star or the moon 
like Paul talks about in Corinthians about the resurrection. So here he says, and it has not yet been revealed, it's not been made known uh, what we shall be, what we shall become. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. It doesn't say here that every Christian is going to be exactly like him. It doesn't say that there. It doesn't say the word exactly. It says like him. So some will be more like him than others because of the koinonia, because of the fellowship, because of the communion, because of their walking with him. For we shall see him as he really, really is. See, we don't have a revelation of that. We don't have a revelation many times of what the judgment seat of Christ may be like. If we had that revelation, and we can't, have a revelation of the throne of God, or had the revelation that we are going to pass that throne someday, the judgment seat of Christ, and what we have become will be made manifest, and the glory of God that he has placed in you will be made manifest. See, it's not been yet made manifest. It's not yet uh, revealed. But someday it will be. And what you have become, what I have become, what I have not become, whatever the final tally is there. You know, you tally up a a spreadsheet, the the, the bottom line. We're going to come to the bottom line someday, and what we have become, that's what we have become. And there's no, no turning back, and there's no changing it. See, that's how important this is today. That's how important it is to not refuse him who has spoken from heaven. That's how important it is. It's more important than we really, really understand. Now, I'll just um, go to 2 Peter. Hold your place in 1 John. I want to come right back there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. By which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. I don't know how, how many other words Peter could have put in there trying to describe the promises. <laughs> exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. It doesn't say that every Christian will be. It says that you may be. And that's what it means in the Greek. So the possibility here is endless, so to speak, like they say. So what the Lord can do in our life can just be quite a bit. that you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the lust, the corruption, the ruin, another word is decay, all that in the world, in other words, to partake of the divine nature, we have to escape that stuff. 
We have to escape it. If we don't escape it, if a Christian doesn't escape that, that will affect uh, the divine nature, being partakers of the divine nature. So to the degree the Christian has escaped that will be the degree to which he can be a partaker of the divine nature. You see that? I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. So there's no fooling God. There's no fooling the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ because we're going to be there as we... What what the Christian has become, that's what's there. So to change may be a possible outcome, it takes today. It'll take what's going on today. Now back in 1 John 3, verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Everyone who has this hope will cleanse and purify himself, will keep himself pure. See, it has not yet been revealed what you shall become. Well, if, if you have that hope in you, that, Lord, I want to be pure, I want to walk the way I, way I should walk with you, if you have that hope in you, you will purify yourself. You will do what is necessary to be pure. There's another way to say it. You will purify, you will keep yourself pure. Verse 5. And you know that he, he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin or does not practice sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So if you're practicing sin, you don't understand. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So whoever is, has been born of God does not sin, does not practice sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot practice sin because he's been born of God. Now, in closing, let's go to 2 Corinthians. So as I said, the shaking is not to be the focus. The communion is to be the focus. Because if, if you are in communion with the Lord, you will stand. You won't be shaken. You don't have to be concerned. That, or am, I, am I going to make it as a Christian to the end? Well, if you're in the communion with him, if you have been called and you're responding into the fellowship with Jesus Christ, and that's a continual thing in your life, then, you know, if the shaking comes, even something, you know, this year, next year, whenever, you will have been ready. You will have been made ready. You will be ready in here. Uh, in the book of Acts, when you see the church developing, they're, they're persecuted. I mean, the Jews are persecuted. Everyone's out seems to get them. And they all came together. They had all things in common. It was no more, well, this is mine. No, everything is everyone's. That's, you know, we're far from that. 
I mean, because we haven't been pushed into that yet. They were pushed into it, <laughs> or led into it, both. See, so if a shaking comes, we don't know how things are going to go. But we will have a kingdom that sh shall not and cannot be removed. Established in your heart. In 2 Corinthians 4, and we'll stop with this. It's funny, you can read the scriptures, and, and people do all the time, but there's certain, certain keys in the scripture. You know, Jesus said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Remember saying that? There's keys there, and he's giving you the keys. So what you have to do is you have to see the key and use the key. Then, you, you know, you can unlock them. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So the affliction, even though it's, it's not welcome most of the time, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of eternal weight of glory. It shall not be yet revealed. It not, has not been revealed what you shall become. See, but through certain avenues, the glory comes. It's working for us, an eternal weight of glory. Only, now listen, <laughs> emphasize this. It only works if you read the, the next verse and it's applicable. While, that means it's only going to work while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's the only way it works. It just doesn't work because you're a Christian. It just doesn't work because we read the Bible. You know, it doesn't work just because we come to church. It works while... We don't look at the things seen, which means that there is a spiritual posture that you're not focusing. Your main focus is not on the things that are seen. Your main focus is on the things which cannot be seen, which speaks about the koinonia, which, which, which leads to that. It goes back to that. To see that which is not seen will require the communion. Your communion, my communion with the Lord. So if we are walking with Him, and we continue on with Him, then we will be okay when the shaking comes. If it comes in our lifetime, who knows what's going to happen? It may not. I don't know. It seems as though there's things brewing. It seems as though things are on the horizon. But, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are we in the relationship presently, continually? Are we having communion with him? That's what matters, and that will be your source.